0: Hello and welcome to The Library Coven, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly YA fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because critique is our fangirl love language and because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jessie. And I'm Kelly.
1: And in this episode, we are discussing a middle grade novel called Witchlings by Claribel A. Ortega. And this novel follows the story of Seven Salazar, who... When upon getting sorted, essentially into a coven, she gets sorted into a spare coven, the spares, like the people who don't belong in any of the other covens that she wanted to be in. So she has to figure out how to work with Thorn and Valley and they do an impossible task, which is a ridiculous thing to ask 12 year olds to do, but we'll get into that later. (laughs) (laughs) And, but it is fantasy. So of course anything goes yeah there's so much about friendship and the magical system is super well developed and it'll be fun to talk about it because we don't discuss middle grade very often initial reactions do you want to go first kelly (laughs) you're laughing (laughs) kelly wrote
0: nothing in the notes for the plot summary or her initial reactions (laughs) um well
1: dr k did their show notes early but neglected these two parts <laughs> <laughs> um oh my god uh okay so initial reactions it was really fun change of pace to read middle grade that was my biggest initial reaction is that like the voice is so cute compared to what i'm used to reading for the podcast it's like it's such a different um different tone I adored all the toad stuff and all of Valley's aesthetic with her black lipstick and her skulls and ravens everywhere. I'm like, okay, can't relate. <laughs> Love this. <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting interior decorating ideas. Yes, and the yes. story really got into some deep, important topics that I think are crucial to broach with adolescents and young teenagers. So I thought that the story did that really well. What about you? What did you think?
0: Um first I want to apologize because I used the wrong pronouns for you so oh, thank so you. sorry about that. <laughs> um but thinking about the book like you said we don't read a ton of middle grade so this was a really fun change of pace. Um, I really enjoyed getting to know Seven Thorn, and Valley, and the magical world that Ortega created was super fun. I think if you have young people in your life or you're like us and just love fantasy aimed at any age group, I would highly recommend this book. I listened to the audiobook, which was narrated by Serena Fialo, um, who did a great job. And I imagine that this could be like a really good um, audiobook for like a family road trip. And I think it's something that like the whole family would enjoy. It was really fun. um, And I enjoyed it a lot.
1: I love that idea that you threw in there at the end like this would be perfect for a family road trip it's just like the perfect little recommendation and awesome thank you so much for putting the narrators in
0: (laughs) of course I'm working on it (laughs) all right recommend if you like pet by Aquake Imezi would be good Um, it deals with some of Some more overt social issues, but I think they both have strong young girls at their core who are fighting for a more just society. Um, If you love the Halloween Town movies, (laughs) (laughs) this book gave off like serious Halloween Town vibes for me. (laughs) Um, I liked it a lot. And a book I forgot to add was New Kids by Jerry Craft. That um, graphic novel uh, is about a young boy who is biracial and he's at a new school, but it kind of deals with some bullying and some racial issues, similar to like what we see in pet and in this book. So um, I would recommend that and I'll be sure to add it to the show notes. For like
1: a, <laughs> for like a non-fantasy contemporary spin on some mm-hmm. of this. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool.
0: Why did we choose this book? This book was recommended by my good friend and Patreon member Diana. Thank you for recommending this. And Diana will be happy to know we like this book.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we
0: shall not mention
1: the last recommendation. <laughs> but thank you, Deanna. Yes. Lots of hearts. Love you. Thanks. <laughs> oh, this is a great recommendation. Thanks, Deanna. Time to talk about world building in Through the Wardrobe.
0: The world in this book is very similar to our own, but with lots of magic. I think it's why it reminded me so much of Halloween Town. Like, I forget what they called them, but like, I think their telephone, like, their cell phones were called portaphones, and like, they called the internet something different. So it's just like very parallel to our world.
1: And coffee was mud bean juice. Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> cute. Uh, I totally get the Halloween Town comparison. Just like I'll just pepper things and and then that like kind of fill in that association for me. Like the. All the different outfit descriptions, you know, the hats, everything like very stereotypically, like imagine everything from a fantasy world and put it in there and Clarabelle Ortega mm-hmm. figured out a way to put it in to the description. Yes. <laughs> and like measurements are in toadstools. So like small things with the world building that actually end up like the consistency of them and the number of them over time made it feel like you were really transported to this like fantasy version of our world.
0: Yeah. And I love that. And I think there was also like a world where the there were humans who were, didn't have magical powers like in another. Yes. Like parallel to them. So maybe I think this book is a series um, is the first book in a series. So maybe we'll see more of like also our world in the future.
1: Cool. That'd be cool. I think that na- that place was called the Humdrum
0: yes yeah 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 I
1: loved all the cute and punny names obviously That's obviously not surprising. <laughs> and there were a lot of cool places actually that we ended up seeing like the cursed forest or specter lagoon and I forget what the valley n- name is but it's like the valley that where they eventually trap the night beast and mm-hmm. I found myself wishing there was a map oh <laughs> there is not a map in in here maybe that's like a middle grade thing obviously a publisher choice so, yeah, that was that was just interesting. It kind of another Rita Lake, I guess, that comes to mind. That's YA would be the Brooklyn Brujas series, like oh, yeah. a trio of badass witches. And then especially the first one. What was that one? Labyrinth Lost. The portal fantasy one. Yes. Where they go to mm-hmm, all the different mm-hmm. magical places. It kind of reminded me of the Cursed Forest and the Spectral Lagoon and stuff like that.
0: We also get a lot of spells, and in this world, the spells are in Spanish and Latin. Um, so it was really cool to see like the mixture of different languages being used, um, and like even some of the places and things were in Spanish, which was cool. I think even for a young person who maybe doesn't understand Spanish, they'll understand what's
1: going on. Um, but I really like that. I had too, and it, yeah, I agree with you that like there's enough context, contextual clues that like you the effect of the spell is described you know or like you can pick up what they would be wanting to do magically and then you can learn a new word maybe
0: yeah yeah that was cool also only librarians get familiars <laughs>
1: <laughs> which i thought was really funny <laughs> the librarians deserve them i guess yes i yes, could we do <laughs> i could not get enough of the library scenes and also the adorable tea shop and the adorable bookshop I was just like here for all of these fantastical but also like mundane kind of places where people spend time and just do like normal things but they're magical people I loved all that stuff and I'm curious what your familiar would be and you are a librarian it would be a cat obviously (laughs) it'll be a cat you paused and I was just kind of like I'm is she gonna come up with something that's totally out of left field or
0: Mm-mm, mm-mm. I think I've taken familiar quizzes before, and I always get a cat.
1: So it's not even you know. like a lion or like nope. a big cat. No, it's just like mm-mm. it's just like it's a cat. cat, like a house cat, like a domesticated <laughs> domestic short hair
0: d-a-s-h <laughs> What about you? If you had a familiar, what would it be?
1: I kind of want something outrageous, like a pygmy hippo. or interesting or or like um I don't know an elephant would probably be too big
0: I imagined you with like a dragon
1: familiar (laughs) a dragon ooh Mm -hmm. like Daenerys like a full-size dragon or like a small dragon Mm -hmm.
0: I imagine full-size oh my god I will take I'm I'm gonna (laughs) steal that
1: answer for myself and run with it (laughs) (laughs) Actually, That's I'm going to fly cool away with failure. it on my dragon. Yeah,
0: fly away with it. There you go. Puns <laughs> abound. <laughs> Burn down the golf course
1: <laughs> as I fly away.
0: <laughs> Let's discuss all things magic. I think this is one of the first books, like, it's not the only book that we've read with covens because I think now that you mentioned the Brooklyn Brujas, those had covens, but these covens seemed like especially witchy i think because they're also in like another dimension like another world um but it was fun because it was like oh there's little covens and we're the library
1: coven and like i know (laughs) it's like i'm all twitter painted it's so Mm -hmm. cute (laughs) oh my gosh so cute i love it and we did get a lot of like the intergroup dynamics that's something that the the book definitely got into and about how like the magic how you kind of like make magic together as a coven there's also different levels of magic that are restricted by age, education, social status. So we have this like magical caste system almost right mm-hmm. with the spares and the people who are in the other covens like Hyacinth house or whatever. Um, and we're going to talk about this more in One Does Not Simply because magic and class like that caste system is definitely overlapping. But I thought that was so we see like seven doing level doing spells above her level, you know? So we're, we're getting a little bit of like, there's almost like a magical education system. And we're learning that kind of by proxy through what's getting communicated to us in the book, which we always love. (laughs) We do. We love to know what the rules are and see people breaking them. (laughs) Also, I will just put it on the record that plants are magical and I will not be hearing any arguments. to The contrary. They are just like magic. (laughs) Like, period. They're incredible. Can you tell I'm a gardener now? Uh, I just, like, super related to Seven and her love of botanica. Like, all of her different plants that are growing in her room and how she's, like, giving people plants as gifts. And <laughs> I'm like, yes, this is a vibe. I'm here for it. And they're useful to make potions, like the invisibility potion, which would have so many uses if you could have an invisibility potion. And then also the shush rooms. I just thought those were adorable. Like, that was so cute. And I'm sure
0: you love the name, like a little pun in the, within oh the name. <laughs> yeah, it's just like,
1: oh, so cute. It hits,
0: it hits. Once again, we get names as prophecies. I was surprised to see this like so soon after the Jasmine throne because I don't feel like we've had that many books where the names are prophecies for something. But very interesting that this is coming up again and again, maybe a new fantasy trope going on here.
1: And I just put a question on this point to be for us to noodle on that what is what's your name of prophecy for
0: oh my gosh should we look up on the meaning of our names let's see I think I do remember uh okay um
1: you're literally just reading the top result on google so this let's just give a little bit of an asterisk here
0: <laughs> okay yes asterisk uh, but anyways I knew this I think um, my name means <laughs> the Lord exists, which is funny. It's almost like my <laughs> name is like an anti prophecy or anti belief because I don't believe in God. So, <laughs> or I'm not sure a God exists. So,
1: you went through you a whole go. journey.
0: I did not to thinking get there. that and
1: now thinking that. So, yes, yeah. Yes. Hmm.
0: So, it's a very interesting. I don't know.
1: <laughs> what are if there have, any other like? Are there any other possible meanings?
0: Let's see. Um, It says in Hebrew, it means he sees because Jesse, I mean, I spelled it the way I spell it on um, Google, but it is normally like, I guess, biblically a boy's name spelled Uh differently. So, yeah.
1: Kelly is also not a traditionally feminine name. It's like a last name, an Irish last name.
0: Or I think I, I've i known men who've been named Kelly as a first name. Mm-hmm. I think I knew a Kelly Kelly. <laughs> Kelly Kelly? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's so funny.
0: What would you want your name prophecy to be? <laughs> I think
1: what would I want it to be? That's a good one for you to think about while, you're, while I'm fielding this question because I want to know mm-hmm. what you think too. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think my name means Celtic, which is like, okay cool <laughs> yeah okay that makes sense it's just a scriptor at this point and then also i think there's something to do with strength or something but i can't remember um what would i want it to be a prophecy for mm, change maybe
0: there we go <laughs> <laughs> oh this is a hard question i shouldn't have asked it this is what i get <laughs> this is what oh. you do to me this is how it feels I know. <laughs> uh she who reads all the books i guess that that's oh. it I just want to read all the books and live in peace. (laughs) Make all the things. (laughs) The
1: humble librarian. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: We get this impossible task. Like, what the fuck is up with asking 12-year-olds to complete this super intense task? Something the adults in the society have not been able to do, which is kill a night beast. It's fantasy, so kids are always being asked to do weird stuff. But I'm just like... (laughs) it's literally called the impossible task and you're going to turn them into toads if they don't
1: (laughs) yeah totification is the is the punishment Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yep totification what was up with like beefy so beefy is i forget what his actual name is it's something like weird esoteric and it starts with a b but Mm -hmm. he's a fat baby so they call him beefy and he's seven's Mm -hmm. little sibling Mm -hmm. and he has a bunch of powers he's like super strong but he's got like baby powers and just like punching punching monsters in the face this little baby fists and i'm just like so cute i loved it
0: like the visuals of that are hilarious and i think like they talk about in the book like how baby's powers like manifest differently when they're little because he would also like disappear and show up in other places (laughs) yes just like
1: teleport
0: yeah and everyone's like no big deal he just does this (laughs) he just does that (laughs) we've lost him
1: again can you just look for him on your way home so funny yeah yeah oh so funny
0: um we also have el cuoco Uh, uh so these monsters come from the lore of spanish and portuguese speaking people and it's similar to like the way we think of the boogeyman um i think i've only seen it in like a horror tv show before but i thought this was Um, interesting way to bring in some cultural heritage things yeah so i like this this was cool
1: (laughs) and they're like the the kukos are kind of like the minions of the night beast in theory Mm -hmm. but it turned out that all the machinations were human in nature or witch in nature not actually any of the supernatural beings fault so Which is the way that
0: things go in the real world. We just make up explanations for how things happen. And then we're like, oh, actually, it was
1: us. (laughs) Oh, actually, we did that. Oh, oh, we did that. (laughs) Speaking of which, we did it. Now we're going to talk about conflict villains and good and evil in our segment. Get me Kylo Ren.
0: Just so many people. So many. In this the previous spares turn out to be like the big bad at the end. Uh, they're mad about their punishment, rightfully so, I'd say, but then they like want to kill the spares, like Valley Thorn and Seven. So I'm like, bro, don't you understand that you're like just it's cyclical in nature, you know? Um, Valley's dad, who is oh my god, not even low key abusive, just abusive, and like we yeah. see. Seven, like telling her parents who talked to you know Valley's mom, which is like, Yeah, if tell a trusted adult when you can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then the people who ostracize the spares and want them out of their society, unless they're going to be used as slaves, and they're literally 12 years old. I'm just like, Wow,
1: wow, the society sucks, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, they need revolution here. Good mm-hmm. thing the spares mm-hmm. are doing a revolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that the whole like enslavement and imprisonment program for spares that people were like uplifting as a quote unquote solution for like a problem that wasn't even a problem. Really, the problem was the is the disparity in power. It's not yeah the fact that spares, you know, exist. So anyway, yeah, that whole. That whole thing was just like, whoa, that came out really heavy handed there in the in the last <laughs> three quarters of the
0: novel. But I think maybe sometimes you need that for like a middle grade novel because young kids are just starting to read and maybe totally. they just need something a little more overt than what we might sometimes get in our um older fantasy novels um because you really so it's good that they can understand it
1: totally because you really like feel the indignation then from the characters being like this is Mm -hmm. so blatantly wrong you know Mm -hmm. yeah yeah exactly at one point we have grand's guard yeah we didn't talk about the grand and the uncle um Uh, yeah grand's guard we also have the hill guard and i'm like is this a potato potato situation maybe it's a little bit more complicated than that. Like Grands guard is like this elite people that's supposed to like support the, I don't protect the, the grand, which is like the leader of each of the towns or whatever, um, or protect the towns. But maybe it's like elite community defense versus police as we know them today, which are like protectors of private property, which is like the hill guard, essentially mercenaries, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. but I, it just kind of seems like it's, it's kind of poopy either way.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I mean, I kind of get the idea that you want someone to like protect your community, but right. you have to think about like ethical ways of going about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the hill guard, obviously, like the the people on the hill even, which is funny to think of because when I hear the hill, I think of Boulder. But um, <laughs> I think of I also think of Capitol think Hill. Of oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I'm like, oh, That's yeah. A-
1: see, it's also working there.
0: <laughs> it does. It works either way. <laughs> But yeah, the people that live on the hill have like ostracized themselves and like upper class and like got to protect their community or whatever. So, boo.
1: <laughs> yeah, boo. Speaking of protecting and like taking that often turns into or can turn over into control and something we see a lot and that we've seen throughout all the book. The books that we read for the podcast is this like through line of quote un evil or villainy or whatever as seen through magic that is used to control other people's behavior. So whether that's in this book, we saw that as like the shush order, which is like the grand from another town, not allowing journalists to report like the violent encounters that were happening and thus like endangering all public safety. Um, but also like various spells and potions um, that it seemed like were, were like, not okay to use or whatever because they're too violent or too controlling or something
0: yeah i think we we see this a lot in um fantasy books and possibly because it's a good comparison for like the way that people who hold the most power use it to control (laughs) us larger society (laughs) yeah um it's just with magical powers
1: (laughs) yep exactly instead of manufacturing consent it's just a Mm -hmm, metaphor
0: hmm
1: i found myself being a bit like i don't know it like prickled me a little bit to have the night beast be wolf shaped and have it be like made out as this villain throughout so much of the book i know it wasn't actually the villain at the end um but wolves get a bad rep and they really don't deserve it they're awesome apex predators and we should protect them and i think it's awesome that wolves are coming back to colorado they've probably already been here but um that's happening so that's cool
0: Onward magical friends, just as one does not simply walk into Mordor, one does not simply read fantasy without talking about representations of race, class, gender, and ability. This is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate. So we see how class works in the society in the witchlings, and it is very
1: similar to our own. <laughs> what what was pinging for you as like similar?
0: I'm, I mean, I guess I mostly thought about like the hill and how the people who live there were wealthy and kind of controlled things mm-hmm. and also about how the spares were treated. I don't know if this was meant to be like a comparison for race or ability or, you know, if there was a direct comparison, but just how people who are seen, out, seen as outside the bounds of the, you know, community that was been created by people um, are treated mm-hmm. poorly. So, you know, it could be a metaphor for a multitude of things, but yeah, you know, it was, It was pretty sad. It was.
1: Yeah. I think, yeah, you're describing these like mechanisms of inclusion and exclusion and how those are like boundaries are policed, you know, Mm -hmm. and rather violently also. Yeah. I totally, I completely agree that, yeah, the Hill where people accumulate, you're seeing these parallels where people are accumulating money and they're also accumulating political power and then they're having their own like private military (laughs) security forces and they feel quote unquote threatened at the idea of oppressed folks getting power and then hence the like enslavement idea to go Mm -hmm. to as like an escalation from the indentured servitude which is like the current status quo that they have going on which is like isn't oppressive enough apparently right (laughs) (laughs) and yeah you describe these spares at the magical lower class and it's interesting to see how you know ortega is really you could tell she really thought about this and how to like manifest it in the text because We see how like knowledge, material assets, general rights and freedoms, all of these are like withheld from the spares for like reasons, question mark, question mark, question mark. So it's like she does a very good job showing the constructed and artificial nature of these sorts of like discrimination, systems of discrimination and prejudice, you know.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I think part of it too is like we see that like the spares are kind of outcasts and like the previous spares had tried to do the impossible task and failed and like made other people go into their place like become totified in their place but it's interesting because I think part of the problem is is that the spares get such a bad rep that they don't want to be spares and then they don't like have this same feeling of cohesion that we see with the other covens. Um, So Mm -hmm. some of it, I think is just, you know, the way society views the spares. Um, And we see from Valley, Thorn and seven, that they probably can be a pretty powerful unit. If it, if, if they wanted to slash, if society didn't ostracize them.
1: Yeah. It's definitely got this like isolating mechanism that's going on, you know, that's like keeping the spares from being able to organize and thus from Mm -hmm. being able to get their like reach their full power and their full potential. Um, there's a quote that I wanted to read and it's about it's seven and it's on becoming a spare and suddenly no longer having the privilege of not caring about something. This is on page one Oh one. She wished there were something she could do for other spares, but mostly she felt guilt that she'd never cared much for their lives until she became one of them. And just like, boom, mic drop. So that encapsulates so perfectly, you know how these moments, you know, their epiphanies, they're like, they're hard moments. And it's, with like a likable character, you know, but it's like a character with flaws, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I appreciated getting to see this from the inside and not like judging it, but being honest about it.
0: Yeah, well, I think it's some some of the ways we see how people don't realize what it's like to be marginalized until they themselves are marginalized. Like, there's no mm-hmm. thinking outside of what you already are. So, I appreciated this. Um. From seven, kind of realizing, oh, I can't believe I did
1: that, you know? (laughs) Yeah, and just being like, well, shit, you know, and kind of like getting, collecting yourself, calling yourself Mm -hmm. back in and out, you know? Exactly. Being like, well, shit, no, not not cool. There's another thing that I thought that the book really delved into and it's something I appreciate because it's a huge topic that I don't think gets a lot of airtime. And it's like the idea that kids are such an important part of our society and literally our future, and yet they don't have... A lot of rights and they're not given a lot of agency societally seven is kind of grappling with this on page 232 during this meeting where they're having their whole the council meeting at the end Um, and this is a quote it's uh, from page 232 it says but there were some meetings where witchlings were absolutely never allowed and tonight was one of them it enraged seven that even when a law or issue had to do with them the simple fact of being young made them unqualified to have an opinion and I just think that we see this, um, you know, ageism directi- directed against young young folks, you know, kids who are beings in and of themselves. And just because they're not of like a quote unquote legal age, which is an, a thing that we've also made up societally. They don't have certain rights. Yeah. So I don't know. I just appreciated that the book was even dealing with this and brought it up. Yeah.
0: And I think it's it's an interesting thing because we'll get talking more about Uh, We'll talk more about libraries later, but there is, I think, within the American Library Association, also known as ALA, um, a Children's Library Bill of Rights and, like, what children have rights to, like, privacy regarding what they've checked out and, like, what they do with the library, you know, lots of different things, the, the right to check out whatever they want. So we do see these, like, small pockets of institutions that have rights for children and, like, what they believe that they're capable of, but within larger society, kids don't have that much of... Right, and i think to some extent it's because we feel a need to protect them regarding certain things which makes sense but i'm not sure
1: <laughs> they shouldn't be allowed to voice their opinions when things have to do with them <laughs> exactly when they directly affect them things like mm-hmm. fu- and i'm thinking things like fucking climate change and carbon yeah. emissions you know that's just really what is the parallel that made me think of in our contemporary world
0: um also in this society oracle is non-binary the oracle like makes predictions about things and decides on what the impossible task is. And I'm guessing they can like see into the future because that's normally like what an oracle does. They like see things. <laughs> <laughs> their job. Sounds like their job. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, um, I thought that Ortega did a good job introducing this because it might not, it might be something that young people haven't experienced before or never met someone um, who was non-binary, but it just was what it was. <laughs> exactly. It's just, it just is. Period. It just is. And in that vein, Seven becomes the uncle. She's the first spare to become the uncle, which seems to be like a second in command to like the grand in their
1: town. Yeah, like a first mate to the captain situation.
0: Yeah. And we normally think of uncle as like a gendered term, but that's not the case here, which I thought was interesting to um, take a term that we normally see as gendered and make it not so.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I love that. And it reminds me, I've been playing around with that just like in my life with in my role as like an auntie you know and being mm-hmm. like is that a gender term and to what degree and how do I feel about that with all my gendered feelings so yeah no answers only questions only questions
0: <laughs> we also get some wonderful descriptions of what people look like the book includes people of various colors and none of them are described using food as a comparison <laughs> it's it an amazing be done. it's a
1: can it can be done look at this gold standard
0: Yeah. So I appreciated that. And I really liked seeing the different way that Ortega decided to describe people of various skin tones. Um, She did a good job. (laughs) Thank you.
1: (laughs) Finally, it's time for Shipwrecked, a segment about asexuality, sexuality, sex, romance, and relationships. And sometimes we take liberties and do some shipping of our own
0: this book deals a lot with friendship as opposed to romance. And I think that's more normal in a middle grade novel. Totally, Um, And I think it did a fantastic job of showing how we make friends at a young age, the the way people can fall out with friends and the difficulty of making friends for some people like Valley in the story. Um, We see how seven and Poppy are best friends, but then they end up in different covens and that kind of like hurts their friendship a little bit. Maybe we might think of like how middle schoolers get put in different classes than they've been with, previously like in elementary school um right or how you
1: find a different clique and all of a sudden you're you feel abandoned by your friends and you're like oh my god what's happening and it feels like you're especially because especially in those adolescent and young teen years your friend group is so important Mm -hmm. to like your socializing in your life i mean not that friends aren't a crucial part of my life now as an adult but (laughs) i don't know just like those things feel so big at that age you know
0: Yeah, they do for sure. And then we end up, um, oh, they end up in different covens, uh, Poppy and Seven. And then we see how books can bring people together, like the Spare Coven, who bond over a book series called Witches of Heartbreak Cove. And it was really sweet. And it turns out that Valley's mom is the writer (laughs) of this book, (laughs) which was so cute. That's
1: adorable. And wouldn't that be nice if you were related to an author and could get arcs? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That would be wonderful. <laughs> I I loved the like bond- the book bonding. It just like made me feel so warm and fuzzy inside because I'm like, oh, I know this to be true in real yeah. life. Art imitates life, imitates art. Love it yeah and we
0: see this i think in our patreon a little bit with us bonding over books and talking about books to read and like books we have read and what we want to read and i just or uh, maybe like
1: a safe space to be like i read this book because book talk made me do it and i did not understand the hype and it was trash yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) i'll never trust book talk again (laughs) (laughs) book talk betrayed me
0: Now we're going to talk about writing style narration characterization plot structure and basically whatever else comes to mind in Kill Your Darlings.
1: I just want to shout out Ortega as a writer I think she and a storyteller I think she did a really really good job with this book Um, this is her second book I believe I think Ghost Squad was the first one and especially I think something Ortega did really well was capturing Seven's voice and developing that like pre slash early teen characters just in general I thought that they were all really well individuated and they all had like adorable interactions together there was cute banter the book I kind of mentioned this in my initial reactions but it like mixed whimsy and fun with heavier topics like abuse and discrimination as well as like really important ruminations on like friendship and not following bullshit rules
0: Yeah no I agree it was impressive because it's kind of a big cast of characters like it's not a huge cast of characters like with multiple POVs and that sort of thing but I feel like it could be really easy to slip into making you know the spare coven into like very similar voices and she avoided that really well and um commend her for that it was so good I loved it (laughs) I would totally
1: read another book in the series and or recommend them to my to young folks that I know for sure All right, so we're going to talk about libraries a little bit. Oh my God, I cannot (laughs) wait. I saw these notes and I was like, I am learning so much. Please, y'all get ready. (laughs) So Moira Dewey is
0: the name of the head librarian in Witchlings, which I'm guessing is based on a very famous librarian, maybe one of the most famous librarians, Melville Dewey, who created the Dewey Decimal Classification System, DDC, um, which is used by most public libraries. um, And he's also one of the founders of the american library association the ala um so if you've like there's even like a book about a cat named dewey that was found in like a library return bin like it's a very popular like at most a lot of people know who he is even if they don't know library things
1: he's come to become synonymous with libraries or at least related to libraries
0: yes and especially public libraries because most um academic libraries do not use dewey decimal although they're the had their own issues. Um mm-hmm. so I can see why that name might appeal to the author, but now it's time to talk about what a terrible person he was. So, Melville Dewey is like some libraries are trying to get rid of the Dewey Decimal System and for like good reason. Now it's hard because it's difficult to come up with a whole new classification system as you can imagine like classifying every book and usually just nonfiction um in a public library. It's a lot of work and like how do we decide what goes where? It's a whole issue with like There's epistemic, like, epistemological issues (laughs) at hand. So there's, like, a lot of things. But Melville Dewey was racist against Black and Jewish people and other minorities, um, and he made it a habit to use his power to sexually harass women librarians. Um, Also, the DDC has had some people speak out about its hierarchical nature, the way it ghettoizes those from marginalized groups, ignores intersectional issues, um, and originally placed queer folks under... um, and like issues around queer society queer groups under social problems uh um, lavender <laughs> menace goals <laughs> <laughs> um it christianity and prioritizes um colonizer perspectives um i linked to a ton of articles that may shed some more light on this issue but i just had to mention it um maybe the librarian in the books moira will end up being a villain in the future but if this wasn't meant to signpost to older readers where the story might go then this is a reminder to authors to investigate historical figures before you use them in a book because there are a lot of shitty people out there even if we still use their name in lots of instances in our society so there's my soapbox (laughs) uh i wrote a paper about melville dewey and like the shittiness that is the Dewey Decimal classification system and some of the problems it causes for marginalized people. I want to hear, uh,
1: can I interview you about this? And Yeah. We do an episode or something? Because I'm fascinated.
0: Yeah, we can for sure. And I love it was a very short paper, but I it's love just being like these
1: fucking white guys. Oh my God.
0: Yeah. Like literally if you go into a library that uses Dewey Decimal classification system for its fiction, it's like English language. Um, like British English American English everyone else <laughs> <As it's laughs> like, like
1: you're not even trying to hide the fact that you're just like fucking no. prioritizing certain perspectives of, and lived experiences over others yeah Bam. yeah I
0: like moved my library that I worked in before this um, from using Dewey Decimal for fiction to going by the last name of the author because it's just one it's shitty and it's hard for people to navigate the dewey decimal system if they don't understand it like if they haven't learned it Um, but also like nobody's going to look like hey i want to read something by an american author like that's really important to me and if you are then we have some other things to discuss yeah then (laughs) But, you know, things by authors should be placed together, and it's hard to classify where books go, and how do we know what people know? You know, like, there's all kinds of issues surrounding it, but yeah, Melville Dewey was a jackass, and I don't think we should use it anymore. (laughs) There you go. Boom, boom, you heard it here (laughs) first, people. So I hope this librarian is you know villain in the future otherwise i'm gonna be real annoyed <laughs> this
1: is another reason why i want you to watch a sandman is because there's a librarian character that i cannot oh. wait for you to see okay very okay. excited <laughs> all right sorry that's totally random and was an off screen co- an off pod <laughs> conversation but relates to this <laughs> related
0: before it's time <laughs> all right starting over before we end it's time for real talk did reading this book make your perspective change in any way or did it make you interrogate a concept system or trend that you've hadn't before
1: do you want us to go first you want me to go first
0: i can go so there's this um quote from one of seven's parents i don't remember which one that says hard work doesn't guarantee success only no regrets and i really like this because you know it's good to put you're all into something that you really want, but that doesn't always mean you're going to be the best at it or the thing won't go to someone else or, you know, that you'll succeed in what you're trying to do. And I just like that, like the idea of being like, I don't regret what I did because I put in all the effort that I could into something. And I just, I thought this was a cute way to
1: like motivate seven. And you could tell seven like had heard this adage over and over throughout her childhood because she's like prompted (laughs) and she says it, you know, (laughs) like she's like wrote, memorized it. I mm-hmm, also starred mm-hmm. this. And so it made me smile to see this in your notes. Cause <laughs> I agree. So it also does. It just like makes you feel better about yourself at the end of the day. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my thing is about organizing and revolution because I'm a bit of a one note. <laughs> 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 so the grand is when she's getting taken away, she, they have this very dramatic moment where this, um, she's says this thing to the spare coven. She says, quote, do you think they would be scared if you were only anything? You were capable of so much more than you know. Stick together, remember. That's on page two forty-three. Organize, baby. Therein lies yes. our power.
0: Yes. It's perfect. <laughs> All right, card questions? <laughs> card questions. <laughs> Sound effects, please. <laughs>
1: Now she's asking for the, the sound effects. <laughs> I was worried they were going to annoy me. I don't think annoying. you did it last time. And I was like, where are the sound effects? Like disoriented. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. The, the question I pulled out is, is this book realistic? And I'm like, it's magical and fantasy. And that doesn't mean that there aren't realistic elements to it. Like part explorations of the human condition or friendship or how power works things like that
0: 100 (laughs) percent.
1: okay let's do another one that hopefully gives us a little bit more fodder what would the main character have been like in a different time or place like a medieval seven or something (laughs)
0: yeah i mean she'd probably be like some kind of squire to a knight and then like takes over she becomes the knight and like pretending to be the knight that died or something you know like (laughs) like a knight's tale
1: (laughs) (laughs) like a knight's tale yes Mm -hmm. i could see this for seven or i'm I'm imagining something like Battlestar galactica where she's like in outer space being i don't know a jedi or something I think you've just mixed two shows It's together. canon now. It doesn't <laughs> matter. Lightsabers. <laughs> like, okay. Okay. Cylons. Whatever. <laughs> Should we do one more? Let's see. one that more. That doesn't yeah. feel like completion. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Okay. This is unsolicited advice for our fictional main character. What one piece of advice would you offer the MC? Or maybe the coven. The little coven.
0: I don't know if they need any advice. They're so they're like such a smart group of young girls and they kind of start to just figure out all the advice that I would have given them at the beginning of the book, like give people second chances between like Valley and Seven or like Thorn, mm-hmm. like you have to believe in yourself a little bit more. Like they realize all that by the end of the book, I think. So I don't think they need any adult advice. They just need to believe in themselves and they'll be all right <laughs> and not
1: listen to the adults. <laughs>
0: And Just do what they need to do. (laughs) Only listen to the adults you trust. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Yay! Thanks for listening to the Library Coven. We'll be back in two weeks for a discussion of Zara the Windseeker by Nettie Okorafor. As always, we would love to be in conversation with you all. Let us know what you think of the episode, anything we missed, or just say hi by dropping a line in the comments, which would be interesting instead of having spam comments all the time. So... Make us that we'll change it up, maybe maybe. Drop us a comment. <laughs> and you can also reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram at the library Coven.
0: You can subscribe to the library Coven on the podcast app of your choice and we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review the show and spread the word to other rad people out there. If you're able to support our labor financially, you can make a one-time donation to us on coffee, you can support us monthly on Patreon in exchange for great conversation and early access to episodes and probably (laughs) bonus episodes let's do it probably bonus episodes let's um or by shopping at our bookshop.org affiliate page until next time stay magical